Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. How many of you are ready for the message this morning? Amen. Amen. We're in a series right now uh, that we're simply titling No Matter What. It's based off one of my favorite books of the Bible, the book of Philippians. And in fact, if you haven't taken the time to read through the book of Philippians before, let me encourage you. Take some time. It's real easy read. It's real simple. It's not real lengthy. You can read it in one sitting. Uh, You can cover that much material in one time just reading through it, but let God begin to speak into your life. But we're taking 13 weeks to really process through what does Paul have to say, or more importantly, what does God's Word have to say to us in this season of uncertainty, in this season of fear and struggle and disunity and strife? Because here's the deal, I believe that God's got a better way. I don't believe that we're called to to muddle through this life. I don't believe that we're called to be frustrated 24-7 or aggravated or discouraged or disappointed. But I believe that God's Word shares with us that there's a joy that's available to every single one of us. In fact, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. You see, it's not something I've got to figure out on my own. It's not a secret recipe that I've got to put all the pieces together. I don't have to figure out how it mixes together and molds together or what kind of form to place it. And all I need to do is begin to rely upon it and trust in God. And God's joy, the joy of the Lord begins to be the strength of my life. So I want to encourage you to really be with us in the midst of this series all the way through every, every week of the 13 weeks and let God begin to speak into you because I believe that we're in a season right now that's very frustrating. Anybody else experiencing that? I'm just done. I'm like, can we just hit reboot on 2020? Unplug and, and plug back in. That, that, that solves a lot of issues, right? Just pull it from the wall and plug it back in. Let's start 2021 and see what happens. But even during this season of frustration, there's a joy that's available to us. We've talked about Paul's opening prayer and what he prayed for the church of Philippi. We've talked about the fact that that God uses the unlikely tools that we carry around in our toolbox. And come on, let's be honest, many of us in the room, if not all of us, have some very unlikely tools. We would venture to say, well, I'm not qualified to do this, or I'm not qualified to do that. We discount ourselves rather quickly. We become um, very comparative. We compare ourselves with those around us, and the problem of comparing yourself with those around us, you see all your shortcomings. So we think, I'm just not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. But God said, I placed inside your toolbox the ability and some special, unique tools that I want to use for ministry. Then last week, we discovered that this life that we live is is really a battleground. And if we will apply certain entities into our life, we will find ourselves victorious on the other side. 
But today, I want to move out of chapter 1. It took us three weeks to go through chapter 1. And here we are, the beginning of chapter 2. We kind of see a, a switchover, a changeover occur as we move from chapter 1 to chapter 2. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I want to read to you the first five verses of chapter 2. And then we're going to kind of dissect it just a little bit this morning. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. The first scripture will be on the screen. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Let that sink in for a moment. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Wow, that's pretty steep, isn't it? I mean, that's got some really tough stuff. We thought on the front side as we kicked it off, it said, man, is there encouragement from belonging to Christ? Can we find love in the Spirit? And all these things were like, oh, that's good. But then he really hits home and he says, but don't be selfish. Don't look out for your own interest only. Look out for those around you. See what you can do to make an impact on the world around. In fact, you must have. He doesn't say you ought to have, or it might be a good idea if you had, or can I simply suggest to you that you try this? What's he say? You must have. It's imperative that if we're going to walk in this Christian life, if we're going to move through life, if we're going to face the opposition, which we will, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. As we face the dilemmas of life, the only way that we're going to find ourselves coming out on the other side of all of this, holding on to clinging to the joy of the Lord, the hope of the Lord, the only way that is feasible is if we learn to truly embody the behavior, the attitude, the thoughts of Jesus Christ. Now, I've stated this before, but as I was putting all this together, I felt it necessary to mention again. I want you to picture this with me think about it just for a moment what if for one day jesus were to become you what if for 24 hours jesus wakes up in your bed 
walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule, your boss becomes his boss, your mother becomes his mother, your pains and your hurts become his pains and his hurts, with one exception, nothing about your life changes, your health doesn't change, your circumstances don't change, your schedule isn't altered in any way at all, your problems aren't solved, they're still there, only one thing changes, what if for one day and one night, for a 24-hour span, Jesus lives your life with his heart? What would change? You see, your heart doesn't get the day off. Your life is led by the heart of, your heart does get the day off. Your life is led by the heart of Jesus Christ. Your priorities are governed. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. Can you imagine with me just for a moment, what would you be like? Do you think people would notice a change? Your family, would they see something new in your life? Your co-workers? Would they think that somebody else was hired? What about your friends? Would they detect any more joy, any more love, compassion? What would change if Jesus stepped in and led your life with his heart? Would those around you receive more mercy than before now that Jesus' heart has taken over what about you would you feel god's heart in you would your stress level go down what about your temper would you sleep better at night would you still dread what you're dreading now greater than that would you still be doing what you're doing what would change in your life think about your schedule your plans. With Jesus taking over your heart, would anything at all change? I want you to think about what would your life look like if for a 24-hour period of time, Jesus' heart was in you. That picture that you see with Jesus leading your life, can I just tell you, that's what God wants. That's what He longs for in your life. The Bible says that that we are to think and that we are to act like that of Jesus. If you remember, Paul said it this way, you must have. It's imperative that. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Another translation says it this way, to be like God is true righteousness and holiness. I want to read to you what it says in Micah chapter 6. He says, but he already made it plain how to live, what to do. 
what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate. Be loyal in your love. Don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. How are we to live? Well, the Bible sums it up. It's quite simple. If we are to truly embody the behavior of Jesus Christ, if we are truly to allow who he is to be placed inside of who we are, then suddenly our DNA changes. Suddenly our desires are no longer the same. So uh, instantly, suddenly the changes in our life become relevant and alive and real because we allow Jesus to lead and guide our steps. Many times in the Bible, it compares the, the old lifestyle. You know, the one that was tripped up by sin, the one that allowed sin to, uh, encaps, uh, to, to take it into captivity. It compares that to the life of freedom in Christ. See, if we truly are a believer, if we've truly given our life to Christ, then we are called to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide our steps. No longer functioning under who I used to be, but functioning under who He is and what He's done in my life. We are to do what is fair. We are to do what is just. We are to show compassion. We are to show loyalty. The book of Romans says this. It says, don't just act like you love those around you. Truly love them. Is that easy? No. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes it's hard to love. Sometimes it's hard to like. Right? Come on. There are things that people do in this world that you're just like, what are you thinking? But the Bible is very clear. We've got to live our life in such a way that demonstrates the behavior, to demonstrate the very attitude, the thoughts of Jesus Christ. What if for 24 hours his heart was placed inside of you? See, Micah says that we are to take God seriously. Can I be honest with you? I'm not sure that the Church of America as a whole takes God seriously. I think we just play games. I'm just being honest with you this morning. Is that all right? I feel like sometimes we just come in on a Sunday morning, not talking about Encounter Church, but the church corporate, that we just come in on a Sunday morning, we just do our church thing, because that's what we're supposed to do. But can I just tell you that he wants so much more than that. He wants our relationship with him to be so strong that it's as if his heart is placed inside of us, that his heart is leading us, that his heart is guiding us, that his heart is leading the thoughts that we have, the words that we speak, the actions that we take. No longer is it me, but it's him. 
Lord, less of me and more of you. God, less of me and more of you. God, let me shine like you. Let God, let me be a beacon of hope of you. God, let me be the funnel from which you flow through. That's what Paul's getting across here. He says, is there any joy? Is there any encouragement? Here's how this is established. You begin to move. You begin to respond. You begin to act in a nature and a behavior that's representative of Jesus Christ. You're going to see that love begin to flow through you. We're to do what's fair. We're to show compassion and loyalty. We're to take God seriously. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But Paul says there's a couple issues that he's got to deal with in the book of Philippians. Now, overall, it's just an encouragement book. But there are a few things that he's facing that the church of Philippi is experiencing that he's got to tackle. And in this moment, Paul has received some bad news. You see, the church of Philippi was encountering some disunity, some division stirring in the church false teaching from the outside was attempting to come in and members of the church were facing a disagreement on how to handle this and what it really looks like paul knew what some church workers and some church folk simply do not know and here's what it is there's a difference between unity and uniformity. Let that sink in for a moment. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. Here's what we need. We need spiritual unity. Spiritual, true spiritual unity comes from within. It means that there's been a, a heart change, that there's been a, a DNA transplant, if you would, that something has occurred on the inside. And can I just be honest with you? God is more concerned about the inside of you than he is the outside of you. What did he say to the, to the religious leaders? He said, you guys are whitewashed tombs. Man, you do a really good job of putting on a show. You know the rules to follow. You know when to do this and when to do that. But the problem is on the inside. On the inside, you're dead. On the inside, there's no real life. There's no real change. You're just whitewashed tombs. And I fear that sometimes we, we fall into that mode. We get really used to what to do, when to do, how to do, but we miss the inside hearts. Paul is saying, man, this, this true spiritual unity, that's what we're longing for. A change from the innermost part of your being. Because uniformity is this. Uniformity is the result of pressures from without. How many of you know sometimes pressures from without can make us do things that we never imagined we'd ever do? Can I just be honest with you? I never, I never thought that I would walk around all the time with a mask on. 
never, if you were to ask me in 2019, hey, do you have plans in 2020 to own about six or seven masks and you make sure that you have one washed and in your pocket at all times because you never know when you're going to need to pull it out and you've got to go in Walmart or Lowe's or whatever and you've got to have your mask. Never imagined. But pressures from the outside... Now, I'm not speaking for or against masks, so don't, don't throw hate mail. If you decide to throw hate mail, send it to Pastor Lanley. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, now I'm going to get hate mail for that one. Um, but pressures from the outside can make us do things that we never imagined that we would do. But what Paul is getting at is it's not this uniformity moment, but it's a, a unity of, of heart and mind and purpose, of a, a desire and a longing to do, to move forward in the same path with the same plans, the same desires. In fact, go back and look at Philippians chapter 2. What do he say? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. How do we come to the place of working together with one mind and one purpose? There's got to be a change on the inside. Something has to take place. What Paul is saying here is this, your disagreements reveal that there is a spiritual problem in your fellowship, or quite honestly, in your hearts. It isn't going to be solved by rules, it's not going to be solved by threats. It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Jesus. It's going to be resolved when your hearts are right with one another. In other words, it's going to be right when you allow the very heart of Jesus to be placed inside of you. To lead and to guide your steps. Spiritual unity is vital. It's imperative in our lives, but it's only accomplished with an inward change. We walk in unity because of the relationship that we have with Jesus, not because of pressures from the outside. Paul wanted them to see that the basic cause of their struggle, are you ready for this, was selfishness. And the cause of selfishness was pride. Pride will, will cause you to elevate self. Pride will cause you to do things to other people that you never imagined that you would do. It'll cause you to say things that you never imagined you would say. It'll cause you to go places that you never imagined you would go. And Paul says, what we've got to do here is get to the very root of all of this. Go beyond the pride. Go beyond the selfishness. Look at the very core and realize there's got to be a heart change. Because here's the fact. There can be no joy in the life of a Christian who puts himself above others. Let that sink in. Some of you are going to argue on the front side of that with me. But I want you to understand, the reason there can be no joy in the life of the Christian is because when we begin to focus on self, we're moving in a manner that's opposite of that of Christ. 
What did Paul say? You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. In fact, in verse 3, Paul says it this way. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble and think of others as better than yourself. Here's the deal. Real joy comes from the Lord. Real joy comes from a deep, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Real joy isn't found around us. It's based upon that relationship. I told you there was a transition occur between Philippians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, and here is that transformation. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks a lot about Christ first, Jesus first. And now in Philippians chapter 2, he takes it a little further. He says, others are next. So Jesus is first and others are next. I hear some of you, well, pastor, what about me? Well, you're not in the equation yet. Hold on to that a little bit. Jesus is first. Others are next. What we are talking about here is being a servant of everyone, humbling ourselves before God, humbling ourselves before others, truly taking on this humble nature of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important, as we're talking about humility, to understand what the Bible has to say about humility. How does the Bible define it? Here's the deal. The, the, a humble person is not one who thinks poorly of himself. A, a humble person simply does not promote himself above others. See, the Bible doesn't instruct you. Jesus doesn't demand you. Paul isn't even suggesting that we think that we're worthless. Because there's not a single one of you in the room that is worthless. How do I know that? Because the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. What is that price? Jesus gave his life on the cross of Calvary for you. That tells me that you have value. So a humble person doesn't say, well, I'm no good, I'm worthless, I'm junk. No, 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 no. You see your value. But you begin to promote others before yourself. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says it this way. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think don't think you are better than you really are. But honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Let that sink in just for a moment. Don't think you are better than you really are. Now, there's a, there's a, a scale or a balance here between thinking that you are worthless and thinking you are God's gift to the world right? Somewhere in the middle of this is, is where we're called to be. We're not worthless, but Paul says, come on, don't find yourself more valuable than you are, because you've got to have room to promote others before yourself. But he says, be honest in your evaluation. How many you know when you do an evaluation, you need to figure out 
what's wrong so you can fix it. The Bible is very clear over and over. It says, do an examination of your life. In fact, one scripture says, if you're doing the examination and you don't see Jesus is around, guess what? He's probably missing. It's kind of my translation of it, but in jest, that's what it says. We've got to do that evaluation. We have to figure out what's going on in our lives. It says, measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. The humble person yields himself to Jesus as a servant of those around, to be used for the glory of God, to promote and encourage others. Here's the deal. Others is the key idea in this chapter. Again, chapter one, Jesus first. Chapter two, others next. The believer's eyes are turned away from self and focused on the needs of others. Now, Understand something with me. This is so counter our culture. Humility doesn't mean that the believer is at the beck and call of everybody out there or that they're a religious doormat or can be walked upon. That's not even what Paul is suggesting at all. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, You see, you, uh, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now look at this. What's the important thing? That Jesus is preached. That's the Great Commission. Go into all the world and share the good news with everyone everywhere. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples, to raise people up. Over and over, the Bible says, encourage one another, love one another, promote one another. And here Paul says, he says, here's the deal, guys. We don't go around preaching ourselves. And can I be honest, Paul could have gotten a following that way. There were a lot of people that liked Paul because they heard his cool story. I mean, they, they knew this guy used to be a zealot against Christians, and then he had that God moment on the road to Damascus. Everything changed. Could you imagine having that testimony? This morning, we're going to have Paul come up and share his testimony. Some of you may remember as Saul, and Saul comes up, and he says, hey, let me tell you what happened. I was once blinded by a light, and a voice talked to me out of darkness, and suddenly my sight came back, and now I'm passionate about it. Could you imagine that testimony? He could have rallied together a great following, people that wanted to be where Paul was. But Paul says, no, that's not what we do. I would challenge you, that's not what we're to do. We're not to promote ourselves. We're not to highlight ourselves. But we're to make the message of Jesus Christ known. We're to share the good news with everyone. We're to let people know that God so loved you that he died on the cross of Calvary to give you life, to give you hope, to give you a future. Paul says we don't preach ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. If we're to achieve the attitude of Philippians chapter 1, once we achieve that attitude to realize that Jesus is first, man, following that up with others next isn't quite as hard because we understand the very heartbeat of a Christ-like life. Now, some of you are looking at your notes and you're a little concerned right now. 
Because you see that the, the notes say four characteristics of a Christ-like life, and you're looking at the clock, and you realize we have 10 minutes left. I've got good news for you. I'm only giving you point one this morning of the four. Next Sunday, we've already got this plan. Next Sunday, I'm going to give you the remaining three. So this morning, point one, characteristic number one of a Christ-like life is this. Think of others more than self. Think of others more than self. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This is not easily accomplished. We, we live in a time when everything is so self-absorbed and self-focused. If you don't believe that, just look on any social media outlet. The majority of the pictures you're going to see there are pictures of oneself taken by oneself, right? How many of you in the room have taken a selfie in the last 24 hours? How many of you have taken a selfie since you've been sitting in church? You're just ashamed to raise your hand. I was out fishing with somebody. I'm not going to name who he is. But I was out fishing with somebody a week and a half ago. And I looked over on the bank. I'm on the dock. I look over on the bank. And he's got a fishing pole in one hand, taking a selfie with the other hand. I said, what are you doing? He said, the lighting's perfect. That's a true story. I'm not going to tell you who it was, Jake. But it may or may not happen. We live in a society where we do that all the time. Everything's a selfie moment. Everything's, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm eating for dinner. Look where I'm going. Sometimes we don't care. And here Paul says, don't look out for your own interest. Can I encourage you, rather than take so many selfies, start taking pictures of other people. Or get other people with you in that picture. Let's build community. The majority of these pictures that we're seeing are so self-absorbed. not saying you're self-absorbed, Jake. <laughs> Highlighting self more than others. We've created this culture that promotes self at the expense of those around us. But in verse 5, he goes on to say this, but you must have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And here, the word attitude, it refers to mind or understanding or feeling or a strive for. How is that possible? How can we have this same mindset, the same understanding, the same feeling, the same strive, the strive for? How can we have that same attitude as Jesus? How is it even possible? See, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the attitude that the world owes me a favor. Right? Anybody seeing that in our culture right now? The world owes me something. The world owes me everything. Yet in essence, we're to take on the form of Jesus Christ. This can be described as the outward expression of an inward nature. 
the outward expression of an inward nature. What would happen if for 24 hours, just for a time period of one full day, Jesus' heart was placed inside of you? Would that inward nature be translated to the outside? Philippians 2.6 Though he was Christ, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. Wow, look at that. He goes on to say that that he made himself nothing. He took on the position of a a slave for you and for me. He could have very easily come to this earth and demanded that everybody bow to him in the moment. He could have said, I don't want to be born in a stable. I don't want to be born to a peasant girl. I want to be born in the palace. I want to have all the riches around me. I want people to bring me glasses of Dr. Pepper with cream soda. Rocky Road ice cream. Or if you're a health nut, grapes. He could have said, I want all of these things. But that's not what he did. The attitude that he possessed was one that stated, I cannot keep this privilege to myself. I must use it for others. And to do this, I would gladly lay aside my rights as God and pay whatever price is necessary. Someone once made this statement, your outlook determines your outcome. My question is, where is your outlook leading you? In other words, what are you focused upon? What are the results of this outlook in your life? Now, it'd be worthwhile for us to take 15 seconds here and do a contrast between Jesus' attitude and our enemy, Satan. You see, Satan, the devil, he was once an angel in heaven. In fact, he was a very beautiful angel. He was the highest of all the angelic beings. You can see that in Ezekiel 28. But he desired to be on the very throne of God. Satan said, I will, my will. But Jesus said, God's will. Satan wasn't satisfied to be a creature. He wanted to be the creator. But Jesus was the creator, yet he was willing to become man, the created. Jesus humbled himself. But Satan rose in pride. We expect the unsaved. We expect those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ to be selfish. We expect them to be self-absorbed, to be self-centered. But listen carefully. We cannot, we cannot expect that of a Christian. 
We can't expect that of those that have given their heart and their life to Christ. Why? Because we've experienced the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been given something we don't deserve. More than 20 times in the New Testament alone, God instructs us to live with or for one another. Let me give you three examples. Romans chapter 12. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 So encourage each other and build each other up. Galatians chapter 6 Help carry one another's burdens and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. We must remember that others is the key the key word in the vocabulary of the Christian. We must learn to exercise that on a regular basis, giving ourselves, sharing with, bearing the burden of those around us. Jesus first, others next. Jesus led with a servant's heart. He submitted, submitted to the obedience of God. Why? So that God could be glorified. I ask you today, what about you? Is God being glorified by your life? For 24 hours, Jesus, his heart is placed inside of you. What changes? Do you notice a change? Do your co-workers notice a change? About your family or your friends? Do they see a change? You've got the version app and hopefully you've been following along on your notes this morning. But there's a final question. It says, do you think of others before you think of yourself? Yes or no? Philippians 1 is God first. Philippians 2, others next. What about you? What's that look like in your life? Let's pray. God, we call out to you right now. Lord, this is the hard step. The Jesus first isn't as hard. We understand that you've got to be first. But others next, it's so counter everything else we do. Would you help us to make the change? All across the house, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. You're here today. You say, Pastor, I don't have Jesus in my life. I haven't asked him to come in to be my Lord and Savior. Today, today I want to do that. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you pray with you today? The second question, it, it, it's real simple. Do you struggle with others next?
You understand Jesus first, but others next is hard. If that's you and you say, I want God's help because I want to, I want to begin to do the work that needs to be done to move in that direction of others next. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? Yeah, one, two. Are there others? I want to pray for you today. God, I pray right now. I pray for every person in this room. Lord, I, honestly, I believe that there's more than just the two. Because we look at our culture, we look at society. Society so demonstrates self next. Lord, I venture to say that that's crept in to your people. So Lord, first I pray for those that raised their hand. But I also pray for those that in their heart they're sensing the urgency. They're sensing the need. They're examining themselves right now and they realize there's got to be a change. So Lord, would you help us, your church, Would you help us to break, to break out of the routine? Lord, would you help us to step into Romans or into Philippians chapter 2? To take upon your nature, to take upon your attitude, to allow your heart to beat inside of us. Lord, give us the strength we need. In Jesus' name we pray.